This is Barry Zelma, Zelma on Insurance. I'm an attorney who has retired from the active practice of law and now spend my time as an insurance claims consultant and insurance claims expert witness, an author and producer of these videos. Today it's time to talk about the duty to defend that appears in almost every liability insurance policy issued in the United States. When liability insurance was first offered to the public, it was concerned only with indemnity. As liability insurance developed over the years, the concern about defense costs matured into clauses promising defense as well as indemnity the so-called dual-promise policies. These clauses, although relatively recent, that is, within the last hundred years or so, have led to the development of a considerable body of law interpreting the agreements to defend. To properly investigate a casualty or liability claim for defense and indemnity, an adjuster must understand the history of the promise to defend and understand how it grew from the original promise to indemnify. In RLI Insurance Company v. Conseco, a Seventh Circuit case from 2008, denied a defense because a settlement agreement released any claims that the class members had arising out of the insured's manipulation of and false re regarding securities during 1999 and 2000. It was the same false reporting and manipulation alleged in the securities action that precipitated the underlying action. The court concluded, quote, when an insurer agrees to defend its insured, it must do so if there is a potential for the loss or claim to be covered by the terms and conditions of the policy. When a suit is improperly filed by someone without authority, in the name of the insured against officers and directors of the insured, the insurer must consider extrinsic evidence before making a decision to defend or not unless the claim is in a four-corners or eight-corners state that limits the analysis to the wording of the suit and the policy. For instance, in Equine Assisted Growth and Learning Association versus Carolina Casualty Insurance Company, the Utah Supreme Court moved to the majority of jurisdictions when it decided that the so-called Eight Corners Rule, review of the pleadings alone to the policy to determine if there is a duty to defend, does not always apply, and that under certain circumstances the court must consider extrinsic evidence before making a decision to defend. Close quote. Insurers who insure bars and other places where alcoholic beverages are sold are loath to insure the bar against liability for barroom fights, acts of security personnel, the so-called bouncers, or any form of assault and battery. 
Plaintiff's lawyers recognize this fact and will therefore add to their pleadings allegations of negligence on the part of the bar or its owners to drag the insurer and its big pockets of cash into the case to compel a settlement that is less than the cost of defense. Such a case was presented to the district court, District of Nevada, in a case called Versatility, Inc. versus Capital Indemnity, which refused to submit the artful pleading of the plaintiff's lawyer and upheld an assault and battery exclusion. In order to determine whether an insurer owes a duty to defend an insured, Colorado courts apply the complaint or four corners rule. The duty to defend arises when the underlying complaint against the insured alleges any facts that might fall within the coverage of the policy. Some states apply what is called the four corners rule when interpreting an insurance policy to determine if a duty to defend exists. The purpose of the Four Corners Rule is served once the insurer has elected to provide a defense based on the four corners of the suit and the policy pending a final determination on coverage. At that point, the insurer has protected its insured by providing a defense. The insurer has also protected itself from liability for a breach of contract and breach of the duty to defend provision of the policy. When the insurer obtains evidence that is extrinsic to the lawsuit that reveals lack of coverage or not, the Four Corners Rule is not further implicated, and the court proceeds to a determination of coverage based upon the available evidence. When asked to determine a duty to defend, Courts in Texas, on the other hand, are required to apply the Eight Corners Rule and limit their analysis of coverage to the allegations of the complaint filed by the plaintiff. But when they are asked to determine whether there is coverage for indemnity, they must look to both the Eight Corners of the policy and the complaint and extrinsic evidence. Why extrinsic evidence cannot be used to determine coverage for a defense, as it is in other states, is not explained by the Supreme Court of Texas. Insurers doing business in Texas must make decisions, therefore, based upon the eight corners of the lawsuit and cannot accept or reject coverage based on extrinsic evidence. This means lawyers can control decisions as to what is covered, a covered loss for defense by artful pleading that can only be defeated later by bringing motions for summary judgment or declaratory relief lawsuits. In states that apply the four corners or eight corners rule, the determination of the duty to defend is limited to the allegations of the suit rather than the actual facts brought, that brought about the suit. As a result, an artful pleader can either cause coverage to be applied or refused. 
Other states allow the court to consider extrinsic evidence when determining the duty to defend. I have personally been involved in a case where the lawyers were instructed to write their lawsuit in such a way that the defendant could not obtain defense or even indemnity from its insurer. This is wrongful conduct, but is available with good and artful pleading in those states that limit themselves to the eight corners of the policy and the complaint. In uh, Lennox Construction versus Selective Way Insurance Company, a Third Circuit case from 2018, Lennox Construction appealed a summary judgment in favor of Selective Way Insurance Company on Lennox declaratory judgment action for insurance coverage. The district court held that Selective had no duty to defend or indemnify Lennox in state court litigation that arose out of problems experienced by a condominium development in South Philadelphia, applying the law of the state of Pennsylvania. Soon after it had been joined as a defendant, Lennox notifies its insurer of the claim stating the commercial general liability policy in effect when the defects were discovered entitled Lennox to defense and indemnification. Selective initially denied Lennox's request, but eventually agreed to defend Lennox subject to a reservation of rights. If the complaint filed against the insured averts facts which would support a recovery that is covered by the policy, it is the duty of the insurer to defend until such time as the claim is confined to a recovery that the policy does not cover. An insurer's duty to defend and indemnify is determined solely in a four-corner state like Pennsylvania from the language of the complaint against the insured. Lennox pointed only to extrinsic evidence to support its argument for coverage. Because the pleadings do not contain allegations sufficient to support a claim that the windows, doors, and or panels used by Lennox actively malfunctioned, directly and proximately causing the property damage to the project, its argument failed. Coverage would have been found if the plaintiff alleged the windows, doors, or panels actively malfunctioned. It did not, and Lennox received no coverage for defense or indemnity. Many states allow extrinsic evidence to allow a court to fairly determine the duty to defend. Pennsylvania does not, and contractors like Lennox will lose coverage it should be entitled to until the law is changed. The duty to defend comes into being when the complaint states a claim constituting a risk insured against. When analyzing a duty to defend, the claims professional must understand that the promise to defend is open-ended. 
Most policies impose no limit on the liability of the insurer to defend the insured. Some errors and omissions policies and some versions of the new commercial general liability policies now include as part of the limit of liability the cost incurred in investigation and defense of the insured, making the money available to the insured for both defense and indemnity the same. As defense costs mount, the amount available to indemnify the insured is automatically reduced. These are sometimes referred to as burning limits policy, since the limits of liability available burn away as defense and investigation costs are incurred. The duty of an insurer to reimburse for defense costs stemming from a burning limits policy such as the one at issue in various lawsuits like Aerojet General versus Transportation Indemnity, a 1997 California Supreme Court case, terminates when the limit of the policy is reached, even if every dollar expended is for defense and investigation. The leading case of Gray versus Zurich Insurance Company had the Supreme Court of California set the basic rule followed in most jurisdictions for deciding whether an insurer owes a duty to defend or not. It found that insurers issuing dual promise policies, a promise to both defend and indemnity, are required to defend any suit in which there is a potentiality that the insurer will have to indemnify the insured. This video was adapted from my book, Zalma on Insurance Claims, Part 103, Second Edition, and is available from Amazon.com as both a Kindle book and as a paperback. You can also find it on my website, zalma.com, by clicking on the Insurance Claims Library, where you will see information about all 10 volumes of Zalma on Insurance Claims. If you found this video to be of use to you or of interest, please refer it to your colleagues, and please subscribe to my YouTube channel and to my blog so that you can be informed promptly of new blog posts and new videos. Thank you for your attention.